Who are you? What makes you, you? What do you consist of? Are you just a robot or a mechanical device made of flesh, or are you something more? The answer to this question will change your approach to life. Hello everyone, welcome to the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. CPE is working with pastors and leaders and missionaries in countries around the world to direct them in raising up evangelists and disciple makers in their own fellowships. God is blessing and many are coming to Christ. We would ask you to pray that God would bless our ministry in the days ahead. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Today, from Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, we pause to answer a question quite important in our understanding of our Bibles and in our understanding of ourselves. Who does Paul think he's writing to? What is his and the Bible's understanding of what makes you and I humans? Well, I'm going to start with a question here. It's that the question is, what is Paul or the Bible's view of the human being as to their essence? What lies behind the foundation of our being? So when Paul here, as we've read through this passage, declares that we've been baptized to Christ and baptized into his death, when he states that we have been buried with Christ so that we may walk in newness of life, when he says that we have been united together or planted together with Christ in the likeness of his death so that we also might be in the likeness of his resurrection, when he says that our old man has been crucified and that we have died to sin and that we are free from sin, when he commands us to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive unto Christ, we could ask this question. Who is the we that Paul is addressing? What is it that Paul is considering in his mind? Who is it that Paul thinks is before him as he says these things? This is somewhat of a philosophical consideration, but it's more than a philosophical consideration. I want you to see that this is a very important question. I hope that you'll see that the answer to this question will become an exceedingly practical thing for yourself and for me. We'll have to apply this not only this week, but we'll apply it, and Paul's going to apply this in the messages and, and the points that he's going to make following this at the end of chapter 6 and throughout chapter 7 as well. But the question here is, who is this we? What is, again, Paul or the Bible's view of the human being as to their essence? Here's the answer to that question straight off, and we'll make it our first observation here. We are essentially spiritual beings. We are essentially spiritual beings. In our passage, God is speaking to the locus or central aspect of your identity. He's not merely addressing you as material bodies. He is not focusing upon your identity or what constructs you as a human being on the basis of the formulation of your cells and your brain functions and the acquisition of the unique DNA that you've inherited from your ancestors, nor is Paul addressing you or approaching you as material entities that are just conditioned by the outward environmental influences and pressures that come upon your life. By the way, that's primarily how this world addresses you. When this world wants to solve your problems, when it wants to inspire you, when it wants to motivate you, when it wants to lead you, when it wants to direct you or redirect you or bring its self-help and help you get your feet underneath you so you can turn a new leaf in life or whatever it is it wants to do, the world basically addresses the issues of your life based on either what are the outward external forces that are coming against your material nature, your material being and giving shape to how you exercise yourself, the nurture that you receive. 
the environmental influences, or it will look to the chemistry you're made of or the biology you're made of, and it'll try to figure out the unique possession of attributes you have because of what you've inherited. So either way, they're looking to these external environmental influences that basically make you who you are, and that's how they pitch things through to you and try to sell things to you and direct you, or they appeal to urges or impulses that rise up within you, and that's who you are, and that's what makes you who you are. And as they try to unravel the mystery of human nature, that's the two starting points they start with. Nurture or nature, right? Either case, the fact is that they are assuming that the essential element of yourself is that you're essentially a material being who's either shaped by the conditions of external forces or shaped by the pressure of inward genetics and chemistry. But in these verses, as we look at this and we understand Paul's perspective and the biblical perspective on what makes us human beings, you see here that that's not what's being addressed. What's being addressed here that is being claimed as centrally you, who you are, is you're not being approached as a material being, a material entity who is just being brought to bear some new external pressure or trying to be able to feed and generate and change the dynamic of your physical being from within. You're being addressed as spirit above everything else. When God made you, he took you and formed man out of clay, and that clay is your body, and it's not unimportant, but then God breathed into that clay his own breath, and you became a living spirit, and it was in the breath of God breathing spiritual life into you that you and we blossomed into full humanity. We've said it over and over again, and I'll say it one more time. I'll say it more than one more time, but I'll say it again today that we are not bodies with spirits. We're spirits with bodies. We just read in our scripture reading from Philippians. And go back there again, Philippians chapter 1. Let me focus in on verses 21 through 24. Paul is in prison at this time, and he's acknowledging that the church is praying that he would be released from prison, and he's also acknowledging that even in his imprisonment, God is sovereignly working to further the gospel, and he's rejoicing in these things. But Paul is struggling with a desire, which is he's facing the possibility that he might be executed. They might put him to death for his faith in Jesus Christ, and he's finding this an actually positive outcome. This is a good thing. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now listen, when you die physically, your body and your spirit separate from one another. That's what physical death is. And Paul is saying, Physical death for me would be a positive thing. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. All right, let's just consider that. On its face, Paul understands that he is something more than just a body. Actually, he understands that he's something other than a body, that he can dispose of his body and his spirit will go to be with Christ. And that's better for him. And so he speaks of himself detached from his physical being or body. Here's a kind of a cryptic passage. It's in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 5. And we don't exactly know what it means. But Paul is making an argument of the kind of person he should boast in. Paul is, in a sense, talking about himself, but he says, look, I don't want to brag about myself. Listen, if I were going to boast in some experience that a person had, let me tell you about an experience that I might boast in. He says this in verses 2 through 5. I know a man in Christ 
who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Such a one I'll boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. Whatever we can make of the passage, whether in the body or out of the body, was a man who had this tremendous vision and this encounter in the highest of heavens in which he had exposed to him mysteries that he couldn't even utter and explain. But there's the point here. There's this idea that we are a spirit before we're flesh. We are spirits with bodies, not bodies with spirits. And it's the spiritual man, the spirit and man that the Bible is addressing. The fact is that as little children, I think we kind of know these things. A little child is full of energy. They're full of just physical power and energy. And yet at the same time, a little child has no problem stepping into the mystical world. We call it their imagination. But when I was a little child, I could think of myself and imagine myself and I could cast myself back in time and I might be an Indian along some bluffs rushing down upon buffalo to go on a buffalo hunt. Or I might be walking along the walls of China, defending China from mongrels. It didn't matter. My mind could go all kinds of directions and I could put myself back into history. Then I even had these thoughts that would come to my mind. I would think how lucky I was. That was the idea. How fortunate I was that I, I had been born to parents and born in America. I would imagine what my life would have been and how much different my life would have been if I had been born in China. And I didn't want to be born in China because I was aware, at least at dinner time, that kids in China didn't eat very well. They didn't have a lot of food. The, that I should eat all of the food on my plate because I should think of those children in China. And so I remember thinking I was so glad that I had been born to the parents I was born in and not born in China. But you see, that's kind of an interesting thing. Almost all of you have those kinds of memories. And it tells you from the time you were young, you had an idea or notion of yourself that went beyond your body. You thought of yourself and your potential and your existence and your reality outside of the time period you were in, and you thought of yourself outside of the geographical space you were in, and you were able in that sense as a young child, and we call it a child's imagination, but you're able to drift in and out from all the physical activity you're in and then slip into these wonderful mystical spiritual thoughts in which you could go to bed at night and pray and think of God watching over you and protecting you. And I think of the, some of the prayers I prayed. I prayed that God would put an invisible shield around my house to protect my house every night. I would lay myself down literally into his arms and hands and know that he was protecting me and watching over me and I didn't have a difficulty in making that transition from all the physical activity in my life to that sense of this deep, profound, childlike faith, mystical, spiritual expression that would reach out and claim God. You know, as we get older, what happens is, as, as we're little children, we kind of live closer to the spirit. As we get older, we just learn how to develop the mundane of just living closer to the flesh. And we just trace along the energies and life of our flesh. Little children seem to be a little bit more free of those things. Maybe it's not just that they have great imaginations. Maybe they're just a little more close in their innocency in that time, a little more close to the spirit that God made them to be 
But this is what Paul has told us, and this is who God is addressing here. Second observation here is because we're essentially spiritual beings, our essential need is spiritual. The old man that we are, we're told, has died. And that old spirit that was in us, that was governing us, that spirit that was wed to sin and was given to expressing himself or herself in the appetites of the flesh. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, describes the nature of that old spirit or old man that was in you, that he was dead in trespasses and sins. That means he was spiritually in his sins separated from God, and that he was given to following the course of this world, and that he was under and subject to the domain and rule of the prince of the power of the air, and that he was following the spirit that was at work in the children of disobedience. In other words, this old man, this spirit that was once you, was it was guiding your bodies while in spiritual communion with the spirits of this age and the spirits that are opposed to God and the spirits that encourage disobedience and an independence from God. If you accept that humans are essentially spiritual beings and you see that this is their essence, then you also begin to understand what is at the foundation of their problems. Whatever are the contributing factors of the flesh, However, you have been physically or emotionally conditioned and programmed as material beings. I'm not saying that's inconsequential. Your primary problem and your primary needs are spiritual. The great spiritual need of your life above everything else is you need a new spirit. You need to be a new creature in Christ. You need to be a new man. And that's what God is proposing. And Paul says here that God has done for the person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life, where we gather to feast on God's Word. If these messages are feeding your soul, let us know. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to contact us with a message of encouragement. Until the next time, may God bless you.